This week on the podcast, I welcome photographer, creator, and NFT collector, Matt Duke. Matt is an incredible guy. After struggling with his mental health in his early 20s, he found escapism through photography. Fast forward a few years, and Matt is now an award-winning worldwide published photographer whose work has been featured by Canon, BBC, and Natural Geographic. More recently, Matt has discovered NFTs and has become a prime example of how NFTs, blockchain technology, and smart contracts can ensure creators like Matt can get rewarded for their work. This has been one of my favorite guest interviews so far on the podcast as we cover such a range of topics from mental health to picking some of the best NFT collections. If this is your first time tuning into the Wealth Journal podcast, I talk about building wealth and that crosses a range of topics. But one thing I can't unfortunately give is financial advice. Anything me and Matt discover on this podcast is purely for educational and entertainment purposes. We don't make any recommendations on what to buy or sell, and we encourage you to do your own research before making any investment decisions. Or, better yet, speak to an actual financial advisor. Now with that out of the way, let's get cracking. So Matt. Welcome to the Wealth Journal podcast. It's uh, it's great to have you on. Um, as with quite a few of my guests, I always like to kick off with um, what does wealth mean to you? And I know you're a, a photographer, very successful, and you've been working in the NFT space as well. So I'm keen to sort of uh, get your view on that on that question, really. Wealth. Um, I think wealth for me is having a, a healthy mind. Um, it's first and foremost. Um, a family um, that's secure um, and my health in general um, and I suppose being comfortable with my finances I think all of that together to me that's what wealth means yeah I like that I quite um, I've heard a quote from somewhere I don't, I don't know where I heard it from <laughs> uh, so don't, don't quote me but like how, uh, wealth sort of begins with like self as in your mental health and then just health and then wealth almost in almost in that order really i think you sort of quite similar to that um but yeah matt thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast today so it's a pleasure to talk to you um first of all I'd just like to kick off then really with like who who is matt um just tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so um my name is matt duke i'm a photographer specializing in macro photography um i've been a macro photographer for quite some time now um i do outreach i like to go into schools speak to children teenagers um even adults in some of the colleges and universities that i've been i like to talk about nature and conservation climate breakdown and the benefits of nature on our mental health and using my experience um over the years to sort of inspire people really and show people there's there's more to life than what we can sometimes think in our own heads um i work full-time um in the medical industry um i'm a father i'm a husband um i'm your typical dad with a typical dad bod um so yeah that's basically me in a nutshell oh nice one and for those that that don't know and i didn't know until today really when i was doing a bit of research macro photography what is macro photography so the Wikipedia will tell you that macro photography is the close-up photographer of small things. Um, so that can be 
the arthropods, the insects or arachnids. Um, it can be flowers. It can be anything, um, anything that's small and bringing it to uh, a life-size um, image and showing it in a whole new light, a whole new world, you know, amazing detail. But macro for me is it's an escape. It's a ticket to a different world, not this world that we currently live in. Um, and it's been a fundamental part of my life. And without it, I probably wouldn't be here. Um, so macro photography, you know, holds a special place in my heart for sure. And I guess sort of alluding to that, like how did you how did you get into photography then? It was it was kind of it was it was kind of an odd situation. Um so I've I've always been interested in like the natural world. Um I've always been interested in like science and astronomy and all, all the all the geeky stuff. But you know, growing up in, in Salford, none of that was cool. You know, you, you couldn't you couldn't go out on the street and say, Yeah, I don't like the stars and I like planets or I like how this rock's formed or I like dinosaurs or I like this insect because you just get bullied. Um, you know, it certainly has changed um since you know I've I've grown up, but back then, you know, 20, 30, 20, 25 years ago almost, it wasn't wasn't cool. So that sort of interest that I had got shoved down and hidden away from me, um, which probably was the catalyst to a lot of my mental health problems, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon. Um, and I was just, I was, you know, I was, I was battling my my demons and my own thoughts in my early 20s. And I was like, you know, when, when, was, when was I the happiest? And I was happiest as a kid. And what did I enjoy doing as a kid? Well, I loved nature and, you know, being out, so outdoors. So I started going for hikes um, with my uncle, um, just in the Lake District and stuff. And he had the camera and he was taking pictures of birds and landscapes. And I was amazed about what, what he was capturing. And at the time, I was really into my fish keeping. I had like a, a six-foot tropical fish tank. And I was like, how amazing would it be to sort of capture those images that you see on my National Geographic, you know, BBC Earth with David Attenborough, but with my fish tank? Because these creatures exist in the wild, so why not? So I asked him, gonna you know, follow his camera, and he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll sell you a camera. So he sold me this really old Sony Alpha A100 camera. Um, and I just started messing about with it, and I was completely hooked. Like, I was trying everything. I was up dead late in the kitchen, like, trying different lighting techniques and learning all about photography. I, I joined a forum online, started learning and interacting with people. And I just started delving into this world of photographer. Um, and then over the months, I began to sort of abandon the fish tank, which was the original sort of, like, oh, maybe I can take pictures of that. Um, and I ended up selling it for a lens, just to buy one lens because the photography just hooked me. Um, and so that's really where it all started. Um, you know, that one little opportunity of buying a camera for so cheap off my uncle. Um, so I've just opened up new worlds for me. Yeah, and you said that um, like macro photography sort of like saved your life in many ways like how how did it do that was it just because of the place that you was in at the time and it provided you with that escapism like what was it about that sort of photography that that changed your life so in my early 20s I was struggling massively um with my mental health and do you know what to be honest half the time I didn't really know I was struggling because I was just thinking I was just a typical teenager living in Salford and you had to act a certain way and be a certain person. Um, but the reality of that, most of that was driven by my mental health issues. 
um, and my need to fit in to the environment in which I lived. You know, we are products of our own environment. So I think a lot of people will understand what I'm saying here is that when you live in an environment like that, you feel like you have to be a certain way to get by. Um, and that can happen in our society. You know, we conform to live a certain way to fit into certain narratives. And for me, it was all fake. Like it was just so fake. And this real me that I'd shoved away from when I was a kid was just itching to get out. And I'd become this fake person for so long. And I always say it, you know, it's like wearing a fake mask to portray a different person. And eventually, you know, the cracks began to show in that mask and they began to show with depression and anxiety and anger management issues and acute paranoia. And I was a real mess. You know, my whole mind was just like breaking apart. And when when I grabbed the camera, I began to realize that I wasn't concentrating on anything else other than photography. And you will hear it from a lot of photographers. They will say that when when they're out with their camera and you'll hear it from artists and, you know, anyone who paints and draws, it just, it, you sort of disconnect. And I tried all genres of photographer and I loved every one of them. Um, some of them I was really shit at. <laughs> but there was one in particular that I just kept coming back to and it was a macro photographer. You know, these tiny little unsung heroes of the world that we don't get to see. And I was seeing them like nobody else could see them. And I was like, this is amazing. And I've said it and I say it all the time. It's it's literally like I'm being transported through my lens into their world. And their world is different than ours. Their world doesn't exist with fake news and social media comparisons and a conforming society. Their news is just, you know, their world, should I say, is just their world. You know what I mean? They just get about the daily lives. And I began to realize that when I was photographing these creatures, I was disconnected from our world. You know what I mean? It wasn't, I wasn't worried about stress or what was going on in the news or my job or what people are saying about me or thinking about me. I didn't care. I was just photographing a spider or an ant or a butterfly. And many people won't understand how powerful that is but you're actually disconnecting from the source of the poison, let's say, and you're allowing your body to detoxify from all them, let's say, call them toxins, the poisons that are infiltrating your brain constantly. Um, and you're allowing yourself time to heal. <clears throat> and you're learning mindfulness without knowing that you're learning mindfulness. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's what, what, what it was for me. And, you know, if something's good, we keep going back to it, right? If something makes you feel good, you keep going back to it. If something's benefiting us, we keep going back to it. It's a natural human response. And photography for me was that. It was my medicine. It was my elixir for life. Yeah. This, and it's interesting when you say about nature, because I think nature, nature almost has like a chaos about it, which like by design, it's, it's chaotic. And when you're out in nature, it's sort of, I think in life you just try and have this like this perfect life where you know you're meeting all your expectations and you you you're succeeding in your, in your career and maybe you're making money or whatever it whatever it is or you're trying to fight for social status whereas out in nature you don't really have that you just sort of it is chaotic by design and um therefore we have no expectations of nature it doesn't have to live up to anything I found it like during lockdown I started I started running I never really was much of a runner. I used to just prefer doing sports and maybe going to the gym, but there was something about like just leaving the laptop screen 
and just getting outside for a run. And it wasn't about the run for me. It was about just going out. And then like now I still work quite a lot at home and, but I've continued to run. Like I can go to a gym, I can go and do other stuff, but it's just, and it's not on the road. It's like out on the trails in the woods or something. And for me, it's just been like, yeah, massive help, like a a huge boost to do that. Yeah. I mean, nature has such an amazing healing power and people tend to, when when you say that, people's minds think oh you, you, you sound like a hippie or a tree hugger or whatever and it's, it's not even about that you know when you go out for a run in the trails and you're smelling that forest and you're smelling the grass and the, and the trees and everything else it invigorates you it makes you feel different it, it gets that brain going and working with the endorphins the good hormones you know what i mean they start producing exercise itself does that um but nature has an amazing ability to bring you right back and center you to the moment you know what I mean? You can be walking on a path and a bird can drop in front of you and you're not worried about what you was previously thinking about. You're now just worried about this bird, what it's mm. doing, what it looks like, looking at the feathers, looking at what it's pecking at. You, and you're completely disconnected. And the thing, you know, for years, whenever you see things that talk about mental health on pamphlets, on posters, where are people that lay down in grass? What are they showing you on these pamphlets? They're showing you green areas. They're showing you birds, butterflies, bees, because that is naturally what we do as humans. We are naturally linked to that. But for so long, we have become so far away from it with the world in which we live in, you know, TV and, you know, computer screens. And, and I'm not saying any of that is bad because it certainly has its benefits, but everything in balance, right? And the balance has been tipped, in my opinion. So that we're so much conformed to a society, like you say, you know, like I said before, to tick boxes, to to live to a certain standard, to have the best TV, the best, the best PlayStation, the best laptop, phone, whatever, and to become hooked and streamlined, and your focus switches to all of this, and then you're not giving yourself any time for nature, which without nature we wouldn't be here. We live on a planet is based in nature, so why would we want to abandon that? So I think the more that we can learn to differentiate the difference between the two and balance the two, the more we'll have a better, healthier state of mind. Yeah, definitely. And I think when I've, when I've looked at some of your, um, your images that you've taken, particularly of the insects, you sort of, you don't realize how like intricately designed they are until you have a picture, like a, a picture that you could do where you zoom in so much. It's just, even the eyes of like a fly, it's almost just, just incredible that, I don't know how many eyes they've got, but it's just, you don't realize really until you look that closely. And maybe we don't look enough, really. No, and they are truly stunning. Like, there is there's some creatures um, out there, like the, uh, the Rubitel wasp, for example, that we don't even know existed. You know, as, as like everyday people, we just don't know it exists. We just cut about our lives, you know, doing the, the nine to five, and we ignore all this stuff that's going on underneath our feet because we don't look and i think that you know the, the, the biggest thing is slowing down and when we slow down we begin to see what's actually around us and we begin to appreciate it even more and for me with the macro photography that was all linked together um and the more i began to notice about these amazing creatures the more i would slow down in my own life without the camera to look and to take it all in and I think there's an important message there because we are just so consistently busy, nine to five, do this, do that, head down, phone, bam, bam, bam. We don't take time to look at what we've got. Do you know what I mean? 
And that, again, was a huge help for me in my life. You know, and some of these creatures, I mean, the rubber-tailed wasp, it's like a flying jewel. And then you look at these amazing spiders, you know, you look at the bees, the butterflies, and, and you, you see how they interact with the world and the environment around us. And it's just phenomenal. You know, as a, as a kid, I loved watching it on TV. And now I get to photograph them and show them to people. And then people be like, what? This exists? Like, we have this in the UK? Like, what? And then people's mind are blown. They're like, no, that's not real. That's an alien. And I'm like, no, nah, this is real. You know, this is a creature that lives. You can find it in your garden. And people's heads are just like, like blown up. And they're like, wow, it's amazing. And for me, I love doing that. I love being able to, you know, inspire people to go and look even more closely at what's in the garden and what's around them. But also show them and tell them, look, by zooming in and looking at this, you're actually zooming out. You're actually slowing down and seeing the whole thing around you, the whole perspective. And perspective is key for everything in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've, I mean, you've been open about your mental health struggles. Um, and for, you know, I think on my podcast audience, like 80% of the listeners are men. And I know, like, for men, like, three out of four suicides are, from like males um it's obviously a big problem just for men in general um but i think um i think for everyone really like mental health like everyone has mental health in the same way that everyone has physical health from your like learnings is there any sort of advice you would just give like a a normal guy or or girl out there um and is it is it that piece of just slowing down and trying to reconnect with with nature a bit more for me personally, it was, um, but everyone's different, right? Um, if you know, for example, I, I was I was prescribed antidepressants, and they didn't really work for me. Um, but there will be people out there who need antidepressants, and we can't write that off. Um, you do hear a lot of speak of, and you'll see the memes, and of like, you know, antidepressants, and it was scored out, and it like psychiatry, and it was scored out, and then there'd be all the trees, and it like nature is my therapist. That's fine, but we can't go with that as a narrative because everyone is different. Some people need psychological help. Some people need medication. That's just the way of the world. Um, so for me personally, nature was the biggest and best thing that I did, you know, um, to help me. But, it, it, you know, you're right in what you're saying, three out of four men. Um, when it comes to suicides, it is three out of four men, um, which is a shocking statistic. Um, and it all comes down to, in my opinion, that the fact that men don't know how to speak out. We used to always say men don't speak out, but I think it's different. I think it's men don't know how to speak out. You know, it's not that we bottle it in on purpose because of male bravado and, and this, that, and the other. Yeah, that certainly has a bit to play in it. But I think it's because we don't actually know how to speak out because we've never been taught. We've never been allowed to sit with our feelings and have them validated um, and be able to express our emotions. You know, and we can take a lot from from females and women in, in how they react to situations like that because they have a so great support network and they have their friends around them when stuff like this happens and they will cry and then they will have a cry with their friends on the phone and people might make a joke about that and laugh but the reality is that's saving their lives because they've got an outlet whereas with guys we don't do that i don't bring up my mate crying because why would we because well we've never been taught to do that we've never been told that that's okay to do that but i think the world is changing and I think men are beginning to realise that, you know, we can just, if we want to, cry. Um, and I think if you don't make time for your health and well-being, you will make time for your illness. 
it will force you to happen. So make time now for your health and wellness before you're forced to make time for your illness. And I, I always say that. And I did, um, when I do the outreach, I go into the classes and, and it's a great exercise. And I've, I've said it before in a few interviews, what I do with the kids and I get the, you know, I'll go, so let's say I go to a fifth form, sixth form and I'll, I'll pull up a, a girl from the audience and I'll say, right, okay, hold your hand out. And I'll hold the hand out and I'll put a textbook on the hand, you know, a big thick textbook. And I'll be like, right, that, that's just your normal brain activity, everything that's going on, your normal thoughts. And then I'll whack another one on and I'll be like, so that's a bit of social media, you scrolling Instagram that, that night, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll have another book on and I'll be like, so this now represents maybe something you're stressed or worried about, exams, blah, blah, blah. And I'll keep piling the books on to like five or six higher and then she'll, you know, collapse under the weight. And I'll be like, right, we'll go again. But now I want you to tell me how you can help this situation. So I start building the books back up. And she'll be like, uh, this is getting too heavy. And I'm like, right, so that means you're noticing things. You're noticing it's getting heavy. We can do the same thing with our thoughts. We can notice when things are getting on top of us. So by noticing and not just letting it happen, so the point where I have a break, we can do something about it. So now you've noticed it, what can you do different? And she's like, well, I can take some books off. I'm like, yeah, of course you can. You're in control. We are completely in control of our thoughts. And if you have the power to be able to decompartment, you know, the thoughts and work at each one, or offload you know fine do it that will help you so we'll take a book off but then i go but some people can't do that so i'll put the books back on and then they'll be like oh my god the books are getting heavier and i'm like well, what else can you do when she's like i can ask for help I'm like, of course you can so a friend will come up and a friend will put her hand underneath hers and they'll support that weight together so that signifies talking you're sharing that burden you're sharing that load then they'll go and sit down and then i'll pull up a boy and I'll always go for the one who looks the biggest. They're usually like fucking two foot bigger than me. You know what I mean? And they'll come up and they'll, they'll be like five books, six books, seven books. And their hands will be shaking. And there's nowhere on earth they're letting that go. All the mates are watching them. They're like, come on, Ray. And you can get the classrooms getting all rowdy. Nine books, ten books, and bam. And it drops. And in one instance, it hit this guy's toe. He's like, oh, my toe. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and that is why three out of four men commit suicide because they won't accept help they'll look at their friends and their friends will be like hey come on lads 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 and they won't notice the signals you won't notice the signs because you're too concerned with what other people are thinking and how you're going to come across as a man you want to be the strongest and that is why three out of four men kill themselves and you see this light bulb moment go off in the kids heads and they're like wow okay yeah i get it and if i had someone like that doing that for me when I was that age, I probably would have not gone down the path that I did and probably have those mental health issues that I had, still have, um, because I would have been able to think, right, I can expose my feelings in a way that means I can get help. I don't have to bottle it all in. I don't have to be big butts of a bad old man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the narrative for men a lot of the time is like man up, isn't it? Like that's sort of been used like when I was growing up. Like not, I mean, yeah, just in, just in general, that's sort of what you hear, isn't it? Whether it's at school or wherever, it's just oh, like man up. Like if you're in pain, any sort of thing, that's how it's been. Yeah, and then that you know goes back to what I was saying about we don't know how to express our emotions because we're getting told to constantly shut up and get on with it. Yeah. So, and that that's a generational thing. We've done that for generations, whereas it's always been okay for women to cry and let go of their emotions. Um, whereas with guys, it's no, you can't do that. Bullshit, of course you can. 
You know what I mean? And the more guys that actually, in, in my opinion, it's more manly, if you're going to call it that, to be able to cry and show your emotion. You know what I mean? Because you don't care about what anyone else is really thinking. You're just caring about letting this go and getting the help that you need. Um, and, and we are getting better. We are getting better worldwide with it. Um, but with everything, change takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm sort of um, intrigued by the, your journey from going from, like, like you say, having difficulties with mental health to then picking up a camera and like, almost finding your passion when it comes to photography and, and nature and then becoming this like award-winning photographer and taking pictures for National Geographic and BBC and things like that. Like, how did you go from, from just picking up a camera to now where you are, like where you are now? Well, I mean, it's a journey, right? So um, a lot of people, when, when they read that tweet that went viral, will just see the, the years, this year, this year, this year, but what's in between is a whole journey and a whole learning process and lots of failures. Um, nothing is an overnight success, no matter what people tell you. Um, and for me, with photography, it was just a case of continuing to learn, putting myself out there, accepting the criticism and growing as a photographer. And I started entering just like amateur magazine um, photo competitions. Um, and then I was getting like reader of the week or picture of the week. And I'm like, okay, maybe I've got something here. Um, and I just built upon it and built upon it. Started entering competitions, started entering, you know, awards, started getting awarded. And I'm like, oh, well, I must be pretty decent. Um, and then I found out, you know, um, that, you know, National Geographic was, was using one of my images um, without even asking me. Um, so I've contacted them. And they were like, we've been trying to contact you for the best part of four or five weeks um, to try and get you permission to use this image. We actually wanted to use more, but we didn't. Um, can we? And I'm like, well, yeah, but we need to discuss terms. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we, we, we went into a, a good discussion with that. And they ended up using, I think, like maybe, I can't remember how many it was, but it was, it was a lot of images um, that they used. Um, and then I was, the, the BBC stuff came about with, they were doing a social media campaign called the hundred days of nature. And then this is that part when I was still learning all about mental health and I was still learning how beneficial photography was and nature was. Um, and I was working shifts like, you know, the free shift six to two seven and the night shift. Um, and they had this, this thing, hundred days of nature. So spend one day every day for a hundred days doing something that involves nature, whether it's writing a poem, going for a walk, whatever. And I'm like, Maybe I can take a photo for 100 days, but I'll take it in my back garden in Salford, but I'll find a different species every day, which is ridiculously difficult, at least I thought. Um, and it was actually really easy. You know, I found 100 different species in this garden, this, this garden in Little Houghton, which was no more than three by four, tiny garden. Um, and I found these, these incredible creatures and I decided to do a blog. I've never done a blog before. So that was quite a big thing for me. So I've exposing myself my words my thoughts in a blog coupling it with these photos um and i was obviously tagging bbc Springwatch, um and they got hold of it and they're like oh we're gonna show one of your pictures on the t- on the tv tonight and i'm like what and then sure enough they're showing a picture and i was amazed taking pictures you know from the tv and that and then they were like do you want to come on the show and talk about it for the last day day 100 it was like uh october 31st i think it was 2014 um come on the show and be on live with us and I'm like yeah all right so I went on there and 
got to meet everyone like Chris Packham who's like a real good friend of mine now and we talk a lot about mental health and photography and uh, Nick Baker again good friend of mine now and everything from that point just doors was open for me um you know and from then on it just became really easy to be able to get my work out there and published um obviously still working hard to be creative and to be different and to improve my photography but I had people along the journey who were supporting me in it you know what I mean um so that's how it all really got to where it is today really do you say you're still working like uh, the medical side of things so photography is is sort of like a I won't say a hobby because it's still quite it's like serious for you as well but you, you do both at the moment would you like to get to the point where it's just 100% your your career oh, I mean that would be a dream on it but um you know my eyes were opened very much to how it all works with um film and photography especially in the natural history department um and previous to being on tv and and speaking to all these people who we speak to now and associating with them i thought it was just a case of you go and work for them but you don't it's a case of like you have a casting reel like an actor would have an acting reel and you have to pitch for work and you could get one year's work you could get two years work um and for me right now as a dad um and a husband you know i have a house and i have a family to provide for so security is everything um so i need a full-time job um so yeah you know right now i work in the medical industry and i work for an amazing company um where i actually get to help people worldwide um so we we create um rapid diagnostic um testing kits so we can do them for right now we're doing covid and one of the fastest in the world and covid and flu which is the new one Um, and we've got loads coming out in the pipeline that are going to revolutionize healthcare in third world countries um places where they can't afford hospitals they can have these kits instead and get diagnosed straight away or you know within a relatively short period of time as opposed to waiting for a hospital and waiting for blood samples and etc etc um and you know bill gates is one of the founders of the company one of the biggest investors um i think it's going to rapidly change how we diagnose people in the world um and i think it's going to save a lot of lives so i'm really proud to work for a company like that um and it offers me great security as well for my family so yeah photography as a full time job would be amazing um but again as i said before perspective is everything um you know you've got to keep things real yeah yeah. It's good that you're sort of happy with both at the moment, which is, which is nice. Um, I, I, you know, in some ways I'd like to be a full-time podcaster and just <laughs> interview people <laughs> on a regular basis, but I, I, I enjoy my work as well. So, um, yeah, it's good to get, it's good to get that balance. Um, NFTs. I'm keen to talk about NFTs because obviously the podcast is about building wealth. So I've covered NFTs in a, in a few different episodes you know, in terms of, you know, what, what is an NFT? What is, what is blockchain and, and things like that. Um, but I'm quite intrigued for you. Obviously you've, you've entered the NFT space. When was the sort of moment when you was able just to like connect the dots between you as a creator and then the world of, of NFTs? And was it almost like a, a light bulb moment? Like what, what happened there? So I, I first heard about NFTs back in maybe April, May, last year um and I've, I've done a bit of dabbling with like um you know trading 212 and stuff just locking nothing nothing major um and you know so all this is linked together you know crypto trading 
and the NFTs. And I'm like looking into it, and it was all at that time 3D generative art and um, rendering stuff. And I'm like, it's way beyond what I can do. Um, so I wasn't, I just sort of forgot about it. And then, sort of June, June time, I started to see a couple of my friends on Twitter were getting involved with the photographer. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe there's, a, there's room for photography in the platform. Um, so I stuck my head in, had a look, did some research, and I'm like, maybe I can, maybe I can make this work. It seems good. And you know what, what intrigued me most was was the community. So we talk about Twitter um, and algorithms. So me being a nature photographer and a conservationist at the time and an outreach teacher, my Twitter feed was full of mental health, nature, and conservation. Very rarely seen anything web free based or anything NFT based. But the more my friends got involved the more I began to see. And then the more I got involved with the community, the more my algorithm changed and started showing me actually what the potential was and what's out there. So I was like, I'm going to release a collection. So photography was booming at this point. Um, it was just starting to boom, let's say, but it was mainly landscape photography. Now I know some amazing landscape photographers, Neil Burnell being one of them, absolutely fantastic photographer and a good friend. Um, and you know he was he was trailblazing. And I'm like, this is amazing, inspirational. Is there room for macro photography? Macro photography, even in terms of the photography world, is such a niche genre. Um, would it even work with NFTs? But I thought, you know what? I believe in my work. My work is probably some of the best macro photography you're going to see. And that's not me being big-headed. That's just me believing in myself for once. So I'm like, why not? So I released a collection on OpenSea. Um, and I had to learn. I had to go on YouTube, figure out what it all was, figure out what it meant get a MetaMask wallet, you know, get a Coinbase account, do all this setup. And I had three wallets to begin with. I didn't know. I'd lost my seed phrase to one. Um, I'd, I'd like got logged out of the other one. I couldn't remember the password. Luckily, I'd not put any, you know, Ethereum in it or anything like that. And I'm like, oh God, what I need to do is correct it. So I finally got it all sorted, did the collection on OpenSea, did a bit of hype on Twitter, you know, telling people, here I am, here's my work. Um, this is me and this is what it means to me. Um, and then the, the collection dropped. And I don't know, an original collection of 50, and I sold 20 in the first night um, at 0.25 ETH, an image. So decent, 5 ETH. You know, I was like, wow, man, this is amazing. And some, some landscape photographers were selling their images for 5 ETH each, you know, for one image. And I just sold 20 for 5 ETH. And I was like, well, it is what it is. Um, and I was like, this is, this is incredible. What an opportunity. Um, you know, th that time last year, I was scrambling together to try and sell a calendar for 10, 15 quid. I was, you know, trying to push prints on the website for 10, 15 quid. I'm not really getting anywhere with it. Like I would make minimum, maybe 10, 20, 30 pound if I was lucky towards Christmas, you know, nothing would come of it. And then I just made that amount of ETH in a matter of hours. I was, you know, I had to pinch myself. I'm like, what, really? Did that just happen? Um, and then I just started getting involved more with the community and people are amazing. But the best thing about it was when the algorithm changed on Twitter, I started seeing art from all over the world. So what I was normally seeing was just UK stuff. You'd very rarely see anything else from outside of the UK because Twitter algorithms like, this is what you want to see. And now I'm seeing art from India, from Russia, from China, from Japan, from all over the world, amazing artists, all different types of art, photographer, you know, paintings, drawings, you name it, 3D art. And I'm like, whoa, like super inspired. So for a long time, I didn't do anything else. I was just 
pushing my collection and then trying to get involved with the community. Um, started jumping on Twitter spaces, um, started interacting with people. And the Twitter spaces, mind-blowing. I mean, we can talk about that um, later on. But, you know, I just started getting involved in this Web3. Now, I'm a complete noob. I didn't even know what Web2 was. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, people are talking about Web3 and Web2. And I'm like, what? Like, why, 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 why is Web2? What's Web3? So I had to learn about that. What was Web1? What was Web2? And now what is Web3? And then you start seeing these doors and avenues. And you're like, wow, there's so much opportunity here. This is where you want it to be 10, 20 years ago when like eBay was starting up and stuff like that. So you're like, this is an amazing opportunity to make a difference. Um, so that's really where the light bulb moment hit for me was probably like between June and August last year where I'm like amazing community, amazing people and amazing opportunity. Yeah. I've always like, when I first started to learn about NFTs, a lot of the positives were, we sort of seem to be for the actual creators for, for creators to actually, first of all, sell their their pieces of work but also within the smart contract of an nft is to continue to be rewarded for like secondary and tertiary sales and you know in the sense that if picasso sold a painting like once once that's been sold and then it goes on to be worth millions he doesn't really benefit from that unless obviously he continues to produce more more pictures but um but the facts with with nfts and the smart contracts that you can almost make sure you continue to get rewarded through through royalties so i just thought it's a it's a no-brainer for for creatives. And I think we'll obviously the last well few months, like art's been a massive thing, but then there's now like music's getting involved and all sorts of other forms of uh, content. So it's it's groundbreaking. It's revolutionary. It's it's completely new and alien to most people. You know, it's, it's such a small amount of people who are involved in it right now. I mean, what, what we see on the internet is we think it's huge, right? Because the algorithms are showing us daily. So we think, wow, this is amazing. But when you actually zoom out, not many people even know about NFTs still. You know, obviously, back end of last year, start of this year, you know, you got the big companies coming in, Adidas, Nike, Time. Um, and it's just building and building and building. And I think this year, you're going to see it rocket. I think you're going to have so many more um, big names trying to get involved. Um, and, you know, that's that's an issue in itself because we're talking about decentralization um, and taking ownership of our own path in life, our own work. Um, do we want larger companies coming in and, you know, having a say, well, yes, I know these benefits and these side effects, obviously. Um, but, yeah, as, as a creator, it was so rewarding. I, I felt it was so rewarding for me, especially considering everything I've been through, to get to this point and then just be rewarded so easily. Um, mm. And it was alien. And I think it's alien to a lot of creatives. They're like, whoa, like people value my work. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, and just like, did you literally just with your first collection then basically set up an open an OpenSea account and 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 list your your pieces of art or like photography on, on OpenSea? You didn't go through the whole sort of, set up a website, get people to mint or anything like that. You literally just listed it like you was listing something on eBay for people just to, just to buy. Yeah, it was, as, it was as easy as that really. Um, you know, obviously you need to do the research into what you're doing and what you're getting involved in. Um, and for me, there was a, there was a moment where I didn't nearly do it because of the, the carbon emission side of things as a conservationist or someone who has 
actively gone in schools for the past three to four years to talk about climate breakdown with children and to educate people. And I've been, you know, an activist and I've signed petitions and I've been to marches, etc. It was kind of, mm, yeah, I just didn't, didn't 100% sit right. So I had to do a lot of research. Um, and the reality is we, we talk about the carbon emissions, um, but it's not as bad as what is happening. For example, the carbon emissions that everyone refers to comes from the whole Ethereum network, right? NFTs are the front end of this. So whether they happen or not, that's still going to go on in the background. Buying and selling an NFT doesn't actually increase the carbon emissions because they're still happening. They're happening regardless. Um, so for me, that was one of the one of the things that sort of made me, okay, yeah, I can do this. But then the other was I could use NFTs to help conservation directly you know we have large charities um not going to name names but they actively promote you know or oh, give us your money and we'll help the climate breakdown etc etc but they have huge companies to run and they have people to pay and this that and the other whereas with web3 you're going to get be able to raise that money directly and pay that charity directly and cut out all that noise in between and see that money have a, a quicker and more valid use straight away. So those two things swung me around to the idea of, yeah, I'm going to go for this. Um, so yeah, you know, listed it on OpenSea. Um, I didn't have a contract of my own because at that time nobody was really doing contracts of their own. Only you know people who really knew what they were talking about did. Um, and yeah, it was as easy as that. I noticed on some of your collections, you've you've also like donated some of the profits to um, like uh, charities and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's yeah, that cool was, as well. It's a big thing for me to do that um, because, you know, like I say at the beginning, it was something that won me around, you know, to 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 get involved with Web three and NFTs. Um, and I remember make, when I made that first night when I made those first sales. Um, the next day, um, and I legit mean the next day, um, me, my wife, and my two daughters, we went out um, and we filled up a food bank. We um, we got a load of envelopes and we put inspirational quotes on them and we put 10, 20 pounds in, in envelopes and we went around the local woods and we hid them. It's like a, a park where loads of people go and we hid them under like stones and stuff for people to find. And just like stuff like buy yourself a coffee, have a nice day, maybe some inspirational quotes of my own. Um, you know, and I would put hashtag NFT community because I wanted people to get involved. I wanted them to search what the fucking NFT was. And I thought, what, what, what better way than giving people free money? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, we went in a cafe and we put some money behind the till. And we're like, the next, I said to the guy, I was like, the next person who walks in here, who looks like they're having a shit day, I want you to pay for their food. And he was like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, why not? Random act of kindness. And I was like, well, we are. It is a random act of kindness. I went, put your card back in that machine. And he refunded my, my coffee order. He's like, there's a random act of kindness. Well, like, nice one. Um, and then we went to, mcdonald's and the girls were like can we pay for the car behind us and i'm like yeah so we paid for the car behind us and you could see people just like what like super shocked and then we were walking around tesco and we was hiding them in between like the cornflake boxes and stuff and you know putting them in the chocolate and stuff like that and then amber the youngest daughter was like i want to go and give it to someone and that was fine so she's seen this this older couple and she went up to him and she's like here you go here's some money and the woman was like excuse me and she's like, here's some money. And she's like, oh, I don't want your money, darling. So I had to go over. And I was like, no, it's, it's a random act of kindness. Please go and buy yourself a coffee. And she's like, oh, well, thank you very much. 
And then when we'd finished, you know, running around Tesco hiding all these envelopes, we was at the till with our own shopping. And then we seen that old couple at the next till. And it conspired that they had three bags full of food and they were doing this weekly to donate to a food bank. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy how the world works. You know, we just rewarded them and they've been doing that. Um, universe works in, in crazy ways, right? Um, so we, we've done all our donations straight away. Um, and then with the Hidden World Collection, you know, I donated a portion of the the ETH to um, a, uh, a charity that plants trees. Um, so I planted over like 5,000 trees, probably even more. Um, and then I helped to set up uh, the Wildlife Collective. So the Wildlife Collective is a group of photographers who are all involved in the NFT space, wildlife photographers from around the world. Um, and we come together, um, one, to be a, a presence within Web3 to say wildlife photography has has its right to be here amongst all the other photography because wildlife photography is still very much an underrated photography genre within Web3 and NFTs. But also to say that you know we can do a real difference here and raise some money. So we created a gallery with on cyber um, and we created a charity room to the side and you need to look at it. I mean, they might have took things down now because we've changed. We're waiting for our new um, charity to come in. But at the time, we were supporting the um, orangutan outreach. So we had this gallery set up and we all put our pictures in there, LinkedIn from Foundation or OpenSea or wherever we had them. And we all agreed we'd donate 50% of every sales directly to the orangutan outreach. Um, and we managed to raise 2.29 ETH, um, which... This, this charity, you know, we did our Twitter spaces with them and they were so thankful. Like, it'd take them probably a good year, if not longer, to raise that amount of money. And we've just done it like that, bam. And, and that's the power of Web3. I mean, that's the power of the, the decentralization and being able to just raise that capital and help directly straight away. Now, this is, we're just getting started with this. You know, this is a bunch of photographers who we still really don't know what we're doing with Web3 and NFTs, but we've just raised that amount of money so quickly for this charity god what we're going to do this year it's going to be amazing quick one if you're building your wealth you're an entrepreneur you're working on a project whether that be nfts web3 or anything else when it comes to to building a business and you've got a story that you want to tell then i want to hear about it please get in touch you can follow me on instagram search j hardy the wealth journal twitter j hardy twj or send me a message on linkedin I would just go back to your early point around the like carbon emissions side. Um, when I, when you do a lot of research around it, same same with Bitcoin, the actual emissions it produces, and I guess you you refer into the the computational power needed to secure the network is obviously quite high um, because of the, the the mechanisms that both Bitcoin and Ethereum use. Um, but also there's the I guess it's still early days as well, isn't it? And Ethereum plans to, to update at some point potentially this year. Um, sorry, my Siri just yeah. uh, <laughs> arrived on the side there. Um, but yeah, so I think there's, there's still some challenges with, with the industry um, in terms of how they can get more um, more sustainable. But I, I imagine that'll that's something that a lot of smarter people are working on at the moment um, to try and make it more sustainable. But it, the way you've sort of then turned that on its head to actually use NFTs to, to, to do good in the world and actually give back and plant trees. It's overall, they're having a much more positive impact than any of the sort of fud or fear, uncertainty and doubt, which is, which is spread around that people who come from maybe 
a poor understanding of the space try to use to um, discredit it. Yeah, and a lot of it is FUD, you know what I mean? And, you know, you, ETH 2.0, as they're calling it, is set to reduce the carbon emissions by 99%, which is crazy. Um, and there is, you know, there is carbon neutral um, alternatives out there, yeah. which by all means go and, go and use. Um, but the one that has the biggest um, result and, and uh, the biggest the biggest audience, I'd say, is Ethereum. Um, but I know that I'm making a huge difference doing what I'm doing um, with my friends involved in this space. And I also see it happening daily. You know, there's um, an amazing woman called Brittany Pierre, probably, she'll probably kill me for getting the name wrong, um, who, you know, works for the BIPOC community and she actively helps these communities with fundraising and money and onboarding female black photographers and, and communities and helping them directly with the money she's earning. I've seen people raise money for mental health charities and institutions um, to help them directly. You know, thousands, thousands of pounds raised for conservation, not just by me, but for my other people like John Knopf and, and various others. You know, people are using their platform for good. They are raising thousands and thousands of pounds to help people directly. Um, which just would not happen in Web 2. It just would not happen. Um, and this is the power we have in a decentralized world. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's, blow, it's sort of blown me away the last like, maybe 18 months of, of learning about just the, like you say, Web Web 2, Web 3. I didn't know Web 2 existed until I started learning about Web 3. That's <laughs> just like, what is it? And then obviously when you start to learn about Web 1, Web 2, Web 3, then it, you know, it makes sense. You can actually see the see the progression. So it's definitely captured my imagination. Um, and I do, I'm, I'm very much like you in the sense that although this podcast has been about building wealth and I've looked a lot at stocks and shares and things like that and other assets, I do feel like you said the it's like the early days of like eBay back in the, the the early 2000s and things like that. So I think this is going to be a huge shift change for for the future and those that are um that are learning about it now potentially going to be the ones that will be uh, rewarded in the future or actually just move with the times. So yeah, it's definitely been a a topic of interest for me of of late. Um yeah, uh, I think you could say pioneers, do you know what I mean? Um we, these are the conversations that we didn't see 20 years ago because one like things like twitter and stuff wasn't as big and blah 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 but um we're now part of it and it's all public and it's all there and everyone's speaking about it and rather than companies running off and doing things on their own they now need to to react to us the people you know what i mean to get on board this ship um, yeah. and that's the big thing because we still have that control um and that's one of the things that i absolutely love um and people's lives are being changed daily you know what i mean Someone minted a, a board ape for 0.08 ETH in May and then sold it for 800 ETH, 200 ETH, 300 ETH. Literally life-changing money in six six to eight months. Crazy. Where where'd you get that? You don't get it. You'd have to win the lottery. I know, yeah. I, and I hate them stories sometimes <laughs> because I'm like... <laughs> why didn't i uh i was i mean i wasn't aware of board ape yacht club like back when it first came about i mean obviously a lot of people wasn't either but you just think oh. <laughs> I, I missed the boat like even when even when i got involved there were only maybe one to two weeks i think um i didn't have that type of money but i did but i didn't at that time um i just got it it was my first of a bunch of sales there was no way i was going to go and spend half of it on on a cartoon jpeg <laughs> do you know what i mean but then 
as you learn and progress through the scene, I mean, I've, I've made I've made mistakes. You know, I've bought stuff that's gone to zero, um, and I, I've sold stuff early, um, and I've, I've held stuff that is doing well. Um, you know what I mean? And you learn as the scene grows what what is involved and which is the best ways to go, and it's it's, it's forever changing. And you can never be right 100%. And if anyone ever says that you can, it's bullshit. Um, wins come with losses. You don't have a win without a loss. It's as simple as that. So you need to understand. And this is one of the things that I try and speak about in, in my Twitter spaces a lot, if I ever do on mental health and stuff, because the mental health right now in Web3 is taking a huge hit because you've had such great success and then such terrible lows for people. You've had massive wins and huge losses. How do you balance that? Um, is something that's new to a lot of people. So for me, who someone who's been through a lot of mental health issues, I maybe be able to handle it a lot better than, than most because I know where my warning triggers are, I know where my trigger points are, I know my coping mechanisms. I know when I'm running away with myself and I know when I'm being too hard on myself. I might have to take a day out, but it happens. Um, and Twitter and the algorithm only ever shows you people's wins, but people only ever talk about the wins. Do you know what I mean? So you could be sitting there as an artist and I had the same thing where you're not making sales yet someone's making a 5 ETH sale, a 10 ETH sale, 25 ETH sale for a picture and you've got a whole body of work out there what's not even, you know, 15% of that price, not even 20, not even 50% of that price and no one's buying your work. That's hard to deal with because you, as an artist, will start thinking, am I shit? Is my work shit? Um, but the reality is there's thousands of people whose work's not selling. You're just seeing people's work selling because that's what the algorithm is showing you. Social media is and always will be a cherry-picked reality. Yeah. It's not real. So we have to zoom out. We have to have perspective. I keep going back to it. We have to have that perspective on what is real, and that will help anyone in the NFT space navigate it a lot better. Isn't it crazy how the mind works, though? Because like previously, this NFT space didn't even exist. And now, you know, you you put a collection on there, you have some some success that you just couldn't believe. You go out the next day and um, do nice things for loads of people. And then eventually the mind's like, starts thinking, oh, I'm not selling as much as that guy or this guy. And it, mm-hmm. literally a few months ago, that didn't even exist. You didn't even realize your work had that sort of level of value. And now it's just the way the mind works. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. Like If, if you said to me, um, can you send me this, can you send me a JPEG? Via email, and I'll give you eight hundred dollars for it. This time last year, I would have been like, "Fucking yeah!" Do you want to license it for ten years? <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Take it. And then you go and earn the amount of money that you know I've been lucky enough to earn, and you're like, "Holy shit!" It, 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 your money, you, you, the way you view money gets warped. It really does. Um, and I've had to check myself a few times and be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like, be realistic here. You know, realize why you're here and what you're doing. Stop fucking disregarding money like it's nothing because <sighs> go back to how you was last year trying to sell a print for 10 quid. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I had to do that. And I had, you know, the Hidden World collection, which we were talking about now, Hidden World on, on OpenSea. Um, there's seven images left. But that was my Genesis collection um, of 56 images that I put on in June or July last year. Some people's collections sell out overnight. This one's took absolute months. But I released another collection 
back in August, Spectrum Lopes, which is all about the hidden world of art, sold out in three minutes. Sold out whilst I was in a fucking Twitter spaces hosting other people to talk about their art. My head fell off. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I didn't 20, 20 or if in a matter of minutes. And I was like, wow. And then my work was selling on the secondary market for 1.5, 2, 2.5 ETH. I was like, what is going on? I had people contacting me. Are you going to add more? Are you going to add more? So I'm trying to do a Twitter space. And I'm, I'll be honest, I was chasing it. I was just like, yeah, you can have one. You can have one. You can have one. And it was a huge mistake. It was the biggest mistake I could have ever done. Because what I did was I, I saturated my own collection with work to the point where then people were like, well, you've, you, you're not you're not maintaining that value to that body of work, and that was a harsh lesson that I had to I had to learn because my floor price of my collection was something like three point five, which was huge huge money back then. Anyway, um, you know, no no collections really got to three point five like that, um, and I'd got to it in in one night. And then by me chasing it and not really really realizing what I'm doing, putting more work into the collection, the floor price crashed. It crashed as low as 0.15. And I'm like, fucking hell. Um, and that was a serious lesson I had to learn. Scarcity in the, in this space is everything. Value to your collectors is everything. But I was new. I'd only been involved in this space three months. Do you know what I mean? I was still learning. Um, and that collection has done total volume, I think 59 ETH at the minute. Yeah, um, I've, got it, I've got it here, actually. Yeah, 59.7. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hidden World, I think, has done 11.7. Um, Liquid Singularity has not really done great. That's done like two point something, but you know, I'll give that one. I'll give that one time. It's, it's an amazing collection of art, so it will go. Um, and then I've had sales on Foundation as well. You know, so I've, I've done. I've done quite well. Um, but and I've definitely made mistakes, and I've definitely learned from them too. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Because, and how much of it, like previously, you said you'd be. Like say you try and sell a print for like 15 quid, whereas now pieces of art in the digital world are selling for, like you say, three ETH. Do you think that that's the true value or it's the the hype around the market as well? Like, so is, is NFTs actually made, made ensuring that like creators are getting recognized for what they do? Or is there just also that, that sort of bubble and hype around the space at the same time that's causing these highest prices? Where do you think we're at in the market at the moment? I think it's both, both valid. Um, there is no way on earth anyone will tell you that, oh, my, my worst, my work's worth 10 ETH. If you would have said 10 ETH, like let's say based on today's prices, let's say 22 grand, right? If you would have said to someone last year before NFTs, that picture's worth 22 grand, they'd have been like, what, what? You know, the head would have fell off. Now you might have artists going, it's worth 50 worth 50 ETH, it's worth 70 grand. People's perspective of money has been skewed, but also people are beginning to value their work. Is it overvalued? Maybe. I don't know. My my work, this is why my work is always like 0.25, 0.5, 1 ETH. There is one image that I have for sale, which is worth 10 ETH, which I put up. And I genuinely believe it's probably even worth more. And it's the one that I created with my daughter. Um, and it's on foundation called Meltdown. And it's probably the most emotional piece of art I've ever created. And I genuinely believe that that is worth the value that's on that, if not more. Um, so is there a lot of hype around the price? Of course there is. People are here to make money and you're stupid if they say they're not. They, they, that, is, that is fact. You know what I mean? And anyone who says they're not here to make money is absolutely lying. 
yes, you can be here for money and build community and be a genuine person and try and build something for the future. Of course you can. That's what I'm trying to do. If you want to be here just for the money, fine. That is what you want to do. I'm not going to tell you you can't do that. Do you know what I mean? But I don't think you, I don't, I, I think it's both. It has to be both. And I don't think one can work without the other. Um, and I will never tell an artist that their work isn't worth what they think it is. Yeah. Because I've been told my work isn't worth shit for so long. So if you want to put 10 ETH on your picture, you fucking go for it. It's worth 10 ETH. If you want to put 50 ETH on your picture, you fucking go for it. It's worth 50 ETH. You know what I mean? And I will back you 100% if that's what you're saying, because I believe in you as an artist. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting because the um, even if you take a collection of a typical sort of profile picture collection of 10,000 pieces of um, of art, some people say, well, it's just a JPEG. It's not worth anything. But yet at the same time, it is like some of them are hand-drawn. They've been created by a, an artist. So how can you say that they're worth nothing when if it was hung in a gallery, it would have a value? So I think there's... Yeah, it's trying to find that that right balance, isn't it? Really, but I, yes, everything about this space is based on balance, and and you know everything about life is balance. This is what I was going, cutting back to the whole mental side of things, the mental health side of things. Before we have to have balance in absolutely everything, um, but I do believe Web three NFTs is a digital art renaissance. It really is, and we've had many art renaissances over the years. Um, so why should this point be any different because it's digital? Well, the, the world is moving into a digital world. It's what's happening, the metaverse. So people, are, over time, have always hated change. You know what I mean? When the internet first happened, people hated it. You know, when, when new inventions came out in the 60s and 70s, people hated it. I mean, let, let's go back to the 60s and 50s and the way they used to treat people with mental health. They were ostracized from society in asylums, not because they wanted to help them, because they wanted to remove them from society because they didn't fit the narrative of a common society. You know, and then if you look at the, the treatment and the practitioners and how they used what they did back then to now, you you, you might be blown. You know, we, we talk we can go back to how things have happened in history and where we are today. The world changes and things move along, and you will always have people who are regimented in their ways, and they will always excuse me, they will always kick off and go against the grain. They'll hate it. And that's just what happens when change happens. Yeah. Do you know what it I mean? The, it was the same with um like take comic books as a good example. Like there was there was outrage for certain comic books. Oh it's you know polluting our kids' minds about vigilantes or whatever. They've got to become criminals. And then then TV arrived and TV was terrible because it's like brainwashing people. Then video games is the same. Like you play Grand Theft Auto and you're gonna you know, start stealing cars and now social media and now the meta that there's all every sort of techno technological shift has had um some downside or doubt around it, but then ultimately we adjust and it becomes the future, doesn't it? Of course. And as again, going going back to the whole thing of balance and perspective, there's gonna be good sides of this always. There's gonna be good sides of most things and there's gonna be a negative side of them. You can't have one without the other. That is just the yeah. way of life. You choose where you put your energy. You choose if you want to focus on the negative shit and then start kicking off on Twitter and, and, and you know, whatever. Or you can choose on the positive stuff and start trying to build something out of this to make the change for the good. Do you know what I mean? Um, and this is what happens with the whole carbon emissions is that people will only be narrow-minded and see carbon emissions, oh, this is bad. But they'll be sat there 
driving a diesel car, eating red meat, talking into a pint of milk on a digital device, tweeting at you whilst watching something on YouTube. And YouTube probably has one of the most highest carbon emissions of any platform. Yet, where do you see the do you see the YouTube tweets? Do you see people calling out YouTube every day? Fuck, doesn't happen. Why? Because people love YouTube, you know, yeah. and it's monetized. People are earning money off it. Tell me what difference that is to Web three and NFTs, yeah, exactly. you know. But people will just jump on a bandwagon. It's new. Oh, if that's new, let's tear it down. But it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Web three is the future, regardless of what people think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like you say, it's still so early. Like I've spoke to a few people now in the space and they still think obviously it's very early days. And even when you like a lot of my like friend circles, if I ask a few of them what an NFT is, <laughs> just like, I don't know, I've got no idea. Are you trying to explain it? They're like, what? Or even the metaverse is just like, it blows the mind. And that that's obviously a sign that we're still very much at the early the early point but when you you do your research and you learn a little bit more about it you think wow this has applications like way beyond the current scope like it's just it's just crazy so yeah exciting it's world changing mate it really is um and it's gonna happen you know the people who called you out the people who tagged you on twitter the people who sent you a fucking death threat like I've had in the past and everything else that comes with it will be the people in a year's time going, how do I get involved in this? What can I do to help? Can I get a job in Web3? You know, because the way the world's going. I mean, do you really think big companies are going to get involved in this if it was a fad and a bubble? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So, mate, it's the future. And if I can give any advice to anyone, it's, it's, it's to get involved right now. So speaking of getting involved, so consider me like still a bit of a an NFT newbie, <laughs> and we've all, we've got a mutual friend as well who's who's entered the space sort of similar time to me. Uh, <laughs> we won't say his name, but I'm sure he knows who he is. He might even be listening to this podcast. Um, in terms of like helping us, guiding us through the NFT space, NFT Twitter, trying to find the best projects or, or things like that. I've already had like some projects where I've definitely FOMO'd in and be like, right, yeah, I need to get this. I've been on a Discord and like Gary V has apparently like said, oh yeah, this is the one. And then I've like, all right, I need to get it. And the next thing people have said, no, that's not, that's not Gary V. It's like a fake, fake account or whatever, all things like that. So like how, have you got any tips of how someone would start just to navigate in the space and picking up the right NFTs or whatever? I know, I know you can't give financial advice and uh, and things like that, but any tips that you've got? I would say coming to the community on Twitter, right? If you're not got, if you're not on Twitter, get a profile on Twitter and join the NFT community. Start interacting with people, and the more you interact with people, you'll begin to realise who are the bad actors and who are not the bad actors. Um, and those are the people you want to be associated with. The people who I can call friends right now, people like D's, people like Six Five Two Nine, you know, all these amazing people on. On Twitter, who will guide you? Who will help you if you need it? Who have see Punk Six Five Two Nine, for example, has amazing tweet threads full of information. And the first thing I did when our mutual friend, who's listening to this podcast right now, first thing I did was send him to that guy's profile. Read this. Look at this. He's telling you how to onboard yourself with MetaMask. He's telling you all about getting a ledger to protect your cryptocurrency. The more you involve yourself with the community, the more you will learn. The more you will be able to spot the bad eggs from the good eggs but it happens scamming is rife and 
you know, NFTs didn't create scamming. It's just that scammers have found a new way to scam people. That's yeah. just the way of the world. Um, and they're getting cleverer. So if you join in Discord, turn your DMs off. Don't accept a DM from anyone. Um, you know, because the biggest one of the biggest ways you can get hacked is through Discord. So don't accept any DMs on Discord. Be very careful with any links. Don't send anyone your seed phrase. Like, don't even take photographs of your seed phrase. If you've got it, get it right. Write, write it down on a piece of paper, put it somewhere super safe. Okay. Don't even share it with your wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like keep that shit safe. Like 100% you need to do that. Um, but all this information is, is available. Uh, NFT now on Instagram, great platform, full of valid information. Um, Shiller, S-H-I-L-L-R on Instagram, on Twitter. Again, another platform full of amazing information where you can go and get the, the, uh, the info that you need getting into the space. Um, don't fall more into anything. You're going to see people flipping money. You're going to see people making big money. You're going to want to get a part of that. Do your research. Do your own research straight away. As soon as you get into this space, take the time to get involved with the community and don't just come in straight away with a project because you're not going to make it. It's as simple as that. You need to take a step back, take it all in and just learn slowly. And then when the time's right and you've got your bearings, then drop your work and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I I found that a lot of the Twitter grind um, is like to try and get on whitelists. So I think, you know, get on a whitelist of a project and like, right. Okay. So you get on a whitelist, but then you still got to, you still got to mint the NFT and potentially get charged a, a decent sum. It could be like, you know, 0.07 or 0.1, 0.2, or for some of them, like a full ETH, like was it squiggles recently like launched for like a full, a full ETH. Um, and if you'd got on that whitelist, then maybe, uh, maybe you was pleased you got on the whitelist. Great. So I'm going to now, I'm not going to now mint my squiggle and then literally within a day that then drops like the floor drops completely. And so just by get you, you think you've succeeded by maybe getting on a whitelist because there's a huge amount of activity on, like, on Twitter. They've got loads of followers, big discord. And then, yeah, it all tumble, you know, it tumbles away. Uh, so it's like even getting on a whitelist isn't necessarily a sure thing that you've, you've got to found a good project. No, definitely not. And the whole thing about whitelists, whitelists uh, came around to try and avoid uh, gas wars. So gas wars were when uh, Mint would go public and everyone would try and get it. Um, so you'd have like 10,000 people trying to go for this project, probably more. Um, and the price of gas would just shoot through the roof and people were paying six, $700 in gas to try and mint a project. Sometimes it was paying more gas to mint than what the project was worth at the time. Um, and so they designed whitelists to try and avoid that. However, what's happened now is you've got the whitelist grinding, which is, it's, it's beginning to become a bit of a joke. You know, you, you're having to jump through hoops to get on a whitelist. It's like retweet, tag five friends, be in our Discord daily, do this, do that. And people will actively live on Discord all day, interacting with people, just trying to get on a whitelist. And then when they get on the whitelist, you don't see them on that Discord for a long time. They'll make the project and they will flip it. Most of the time they will flip it. Um, that's generally what happens. Um, and I think they probably will change the whitelist, I mean, the word itself, whitelist, isn't right. Um, allow list and green list is probably preferred. Um, but yeah, there's going to be so many projects that go to zero. It's going to happen. Um, and not anything, nothing's a safe, nothing's a safe bet at all. It's, for me, it, research the community behind it, research the devs behind it, research the team behind it, 
the people who are involved in the project. There is so many out there that blatantly just rug pull. They will raise 50, 60, even a thousand ETH on the project and then they'll say, fuck you to the community and disappear. Um, you know, so you have to be very careful. Research the team and research who's behind the project 100%. And is that by like checking who who's following on Twitter? Like, is it is it these credible people that that you know are are into this in the space? Um, like who yeah, like you say who's who's behind the projects? What other projects have they worked on? Are they credible? Are they? Do you care if they're like fully doxxed, as in their their identities are known, or are you not necessarily concerned about that? I, I'm not 100 percent concerned about that. Um, some of the some of the closest people I have on Twitter are not doxxed. Um, and they've given me solid and sound advice um, over the over the you know the past uh, eight months nine months. Um, but then you know when I entered the scene back in July, some of the credible people who I thought were credible back then have turned out and transpired to not the credible. Um, so you, you can't trust anyone. You really can't. And this is why you have to you know do your own research. You really do. Um, and you have to have conviction with what you what you're buying. And you have to be, in my opinion be prepared to take a loss straight away. Um, in my mindset, anyway, the way I think of it. Um, but yeah, you can't trust anyone, no matter who <laughs> no matter who you're talking to in this space, you really can't. Um, and that's something I've learned over the year, six a year, nine months, is that you you can't you cannot trust anybody. Yeah. What's your I know that sound, it's, it sounds it sounds super negative. <laughs> I don't mean it to sound super negative, but it's it's more of a just keep you keep your eyes open. Do you do your due diligence? Check everything. Do you know what I mean? Like you said, you can see who's people reacting with who and who's sort of involved in it and who's not. Um, and you'll you'll get an idea as you as you research the space, if you will. Yeah. And is there any is there any projects that you're excited about at the moment that you you sort of looking at or you've been researching? So nuclear nerds um, and full disclaimer i have seven of them <laughs> um, and our, our mutual friend has some as well because i told him about them um they for me are going to be huge i just love the art i love the people being the team they're not driven by hype they're not driven by influencer paid tweets they are just chipping away at it um they've got a great idea that's going to come to fruition great team behind them um so for me i, I you know i really like nuclear nerds um cryptodes um cco project um I've, you know i've got one of those um they're up and down um at one point last year they were they were touching 13 14 15 e floors um they're a bit lower now at like bouncing between 2.5 and 3.5 um but still for me i love cryptodes and everything they stand for and Remplin behind it and the team um moti and the rest of them amazing people so um again that's probably one that i, I really like um Psychedelic NFTs, um, I have one of those. They're all about mental health. So naturally, I, I wanted to get involved in that. Um, so I have one of them. Um, and then WVRPS Warps um, is the new one of the new musical ones that's come out. Um, right. Really interested to see what they're going to they're going to do. Um, Kazomo um, Demichi, or however you pronounce the name, um, the account he. He reckons they're the next BAYC. Um, so that's always a good thing, isn't it? Um, so, but yeah, I was really interested in what they were doing with music and stuff. So I got involved with them. Um, and then Cool Pets. 
Cool Pets is um, the next sort of franchise from Cool Cats. Um, and they just recently released their eggs. Um, I managed to get one on, on, a, on a low list, which was amazing because I never would have got a chance to get one otherwise. 0.5 ETH Mint. Um, a lot of people were thought it was quite high, but I didn't care because I could see the roadmap and what they're trying to do and how they're going to go with it. And for me, it's the next Pokemon. Um, they've got these four elements. They've got a game. You can earn um, milk token, um, you know, daily. Um, for me, that's a big play. Um, I think this year, a lot of focus is going to be on NFTs that have the game element to them, the gaming yeah. element. And as a gamer, it's <laughs> just right on my street. Um, so I'm involved in them. Forgotten Runes is another one. Um, and then you've got other projects like uh, Rug Radio. So Rug Radio from Farouk. Um, absolutely amazing what he's going to achieve and then what he's doing is fantastic um if you want to talk about web3 and building a, a platform to make change in the world Farouk and what they're doing with radio is phenomenal um so yeah that's another one that i'm involved in um and you know <laughs> this is loads and that's just now i mean give it two months i'll probably be about another three or four if not more do you know what i mean and are you like actively like sort of just are you flipping or are you more of like a, a holder really in, in it for the long term a lot of my stuff i've held, I've held probably too long to be honest until it's gone to fucking zero my diamond hands are two diamonds sometimes um <laughs> I've, I've, I've done a bit of flipping you know um i bought a toad for 1.5 flipped it for 5.6 then bought it back in at 3.8 um nice little profit got my toad got a toad back um nuclear nerds uh, I swept the floor when they were when they when the floor dropped really low. When then I had one listed that I forgot about, but that covered the base cost. Um, so the seven ones I've got now basically for free. Um, generally, I don't flip. Like, and if I do, it's it's because I think a project might be going to zero and it's not got a great team behind it and it's stands for nothing. Then I, I want out. I want to be part of projects that are doing something that are building for the better that have not utility just for myself but for the world if that makes sense um so you know that's generally what i try and do but i could probably do well to not diamond hand fucking everything to zero because that seems to be what happens yeah i know but you hear stories of someone who maybe got a bored ape at like you know whatever it was that the mint cost and then they're like oh so i sold it like one ETH <laughs> and then you know they actually openly share them stories on Twitter and you're thinking ah oh, damn it you know would have been but nice to keep on hindsight isn't it and you know yeah. profit is profit this is what people need to understand is regardless to whether it was worth whether you got two grand for it or you got 200 grand for it yeah it's a, it's a better pill to swallow of course it is you'd be stupid to say it wasn't but profit is profit you know, what was you doing the year ago? <laughs> was, was, was you buying and flipping cartoon JPEGs for money? No, you wasn't. Do you know what I mean? And there's loads of projects that will go to really low floors and then just fucking boom, out of nowhere. Do you know what I mean? So yes. um, it's it's difficult. You, you don't know that person who sold it, at, I let's say bought it at 0.08 and then sold it for two ETH. You know, if they'd done that when Ethereum was, let's say, £3,300, um, per ETH, which it was back in the summer last year, you know, that's that's another seven grand. That could have been the difference for somebody's life. You know, yeah. could have got them a new fridge, a new freezer, could have got the car fixed, which meant they could go to work. They could have provided the kids with food. You don't know what the value of that money is. Um, so 
when we look at the value of 200 grand to seven grand, well, it all depends on what the money is being used for, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And in terms of like NFT housekeeping, like I guess most people when they're entering the space, they'd be like, right, get a MetaMask wallet, store your NFTs there. At what point would you recommend that they start like storing them on a ledger or a hardware wallet and just keeping everything safe and secure? Because that's one of the, the challenges in the industry, isn't it? Just keeping everything secure. Uh, straight away. 100% straight away. Don't be an idiot like me. I mean, I look and I've, I, I, I've not been hacked. Hackers do, don't please try and come and hack me either like hearing this. But, um, <laughs> you know, I um, I recently only set up my ledger. Recently, only just now, you know, last couple of days. Um, I'm, 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 I'm tech savvy enough to know and spot dodgy shit, which is probably why I've got as far as I have without having a ledger. However, I'm not invulnerable and nobody is. Um, and having a ledger is probably the, the most safest thing you can have um, in the NFT space. Um, so 100%, before you do anything else, get a ledger. Um, set up two accounts. Well, set up your ledger account and set up your MetaMask account. Have a hot wallet and a cold wallet. Cold wallet being your ledger and your hot wallet being your, your, where you transfer shit and buy and sell shit quickly and then move it to your, to your cold storage, 100%. Yeah. A lot of the advice is they also sort of teach people not to um, show off too much about their, their NFT or the crypto uh, collections. And I'm, <laughs> I'm always conscious that I'm doing a podcast about, you know, crypto and my portfolio and things like that. But <laughs> for me, well, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any board apes. I don't have any crypto punks. Yeah. You know what I mean, I don't have any Azuki's or anything like that. So yeah, you can just skip past me hackers, please. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, a bit like, I'm not worth kidnapping for my uh, seed phrase or <laughs> yeah. anything at this point. It's just gonna be, it's just gonna be pointless. So don't, don't yeah. bother. But you, you can understand why people remain anonymous, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, exactly. The whole, when the BAYC team got doxxed the other day in that article, I mean, you've got a feel for them guys. You know, they've worked so hard to keep themselves anonymous, and then fucking internet article goes and doxxed them. You know what I mean? And that's gotta be a worry. It has to be. Um, so you can understand why people stay doc, uh, stay anonymous and you can understand not just on that term, but for the amount of abuse people get as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think people can can stay docs, but also be credible in the space as well. Like uh, Betty's a good example from Deadfellas. Like she's obviously, mm-hmm. her identity is hidden, but then she's still like, very active in the space. She does a lot of podcasts. She came on my podcast. So I think it's, um, I think you can do it in, in a way where you still sort of, build an identity without necessarily sharing who you really are because you, you could be making a lot of money at the same time. Well, it's your web-free identity, you know. That, that's, yeah. that's basically what it is. Um, you know, Punk6529, you've got Ds, you've got, you know, various others, but then you've got people like Farouk, who's clearly doxxed. Um, you know, it, it, it's all up to the individual, isn't it, if they want to be doxxed or not. Um, yeah. You know, an, an, an interesting thing would be would I prefer to be anonymous? No. Uh, why? Because I believe me being me is part of my art. And I don't think my art would have the same sort of response to people, let's say, if they didn't know who I was. If, if my story was if my story wasn't there for people to connect to my whole mental health and the reason why I take pictures of insects. If you didn't know that, you probably won't be interested. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Twitter spaces then. What are Twitter spaces for those that don't know, such as myself? So Twitter spaces um, is basically a sort of like voice room, let's call it. I don't know what you call it. Similar to Clubhouse, um, where you can 
host a virtual room on Twitter and people will join it and you can have speakers and you can have listeners. Um, and what I've done when I first entered the NFT space was listen to a lot of these Twitter spaces because you'll find lots of knowledge and you'll get a, you get a feeling for the community and what part of the community you want to fit yourself in at. Um, and there's loads of great spaces, some not even NFT related, some just talking about mental health or conservation or whatever. Um, it's probably the best thing I think Twitter could have done for the platform. Um, it's definitely brought back the art of conversation. Um, and, you know, I host these spaces every night with Christopher Shin on Twitter. Um, and every Thursday, well, Thursday night for us in the UK, and we host um, an artist. And they talk about their NFTs and their, their photography, shooting photographers. Um, and they'll come on and talk about their photography and you'll get to hear about them and their story and their passion and their life. And it's amazing. And it can be the difference sometimes between whether you want to collect someone's work or not. Um, one guy, amazing guy called Andy, who came on, took me a long time to get him on because he, was, he, was, he wasn't that confident in his English. Um, and I'm like, look, it's fine. We can take our time. And he came on and he photographed um, abandoned asylums and uh, to raise money for mental health and we got talking about it but then he wrote descriptions to each picture as if it was transcribed from a diary um some of them being true stories some of them you know moments of his imagination but it made a difference in the photo it completely you completely changed the photo in your mind to how you originally seen it um and you get to speak to people like that and people from india and Africa and oh, amazing countries from around the world who you would never normally speak to. Like you just wouldn't speak to them. Um, not because for any other reason other than we are shit at confidence, right? We don't just go to people and speak. But in, in these rooms, people come on stage and you start chatting and you start getting involved and it opens your eyes to so much of what goes on in the world um, in different communities and different parts of the world and what photography and art means for different people. Um, so Twitter spaces is a revolution. I absolutely love it. Um, so yeah, I host them every Thursday night. It's usually 9 p.m. for the UK. Um, I don't know what time that'll be for anybody else. Um, there's so many different time zones. Luckily, Twitter changes it when you do the, the thing, but you can just literally go on Twitter. You can schedule uh, uh, spaces and click a date, click the time, put a title in, and then it will share. And then on that day, you just activate it on your Twitter account and away you go. You can have two co-hosts. And I think you can have up to 12 speakers in total, including the host and the co-hosts. Um, and then you can have an, an audience room uh, of thousands. I've never had thousands. I think the most I've had is a couple of hundred, which is great. Um, but they're, they're a great thing, definitely are. Oh, well, I'm sure um, next Thursday after the podcast launches, the Wealth Journal listeners will uh, will all be jumping on and you'll, you'll hit <laughs> millions of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes, come and join us. It's, it's great. I mean, even just to be inspired by people, it's really good. Yeah, I don't know, I might... Um, yeah, I think I'll jump on one of them. Sounds good. Um, Matt, I think um, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I think just like your journey um, for me just shows that all the way through your your life, well, particularly from like your 20s when you talked about the, your time in Salford, that you've just like, you've continually like evolved and changed and tried to try to learn something new, whether it be through photography, um, insects, and then now like with NFTs. So just like getting to grips with the space, learning how to set up a wallet, you know, just constantly like evolving and changing. Um, and I think that's, that's been 
inspiring for me really um so yeah thanks for thanks for coming on and, and talking to me it's been it's been really really interesting well thank you i mean this is my first ever podcast on nfts um and i know fuck all so, so you know what i mean it was, it was uh it was it was quite daunting when i got the question and i was like mm. but then you know like with anything i have i have an experience and whether it's a good or bad experience people can learn from an experience which is one thing of the normal life is share my experience and if people can take something from that they're great so if someone can listen to this podcast and keep themselves safe because i've said get a fucking ledger you know get get a hard wallet straight away take your time with the space and don't rush in don't be an idiot like i did with my second collection if people can learn from that great do you know what i mean job done yeah. um so yeah I mean, it's been it's been a great chat mate um and you know for, for me and what you said there about I, I like to evolve i like to learn i like to to fortify myself with new things to keep me going you know, keep moving forward. I say that to everyone, just keep moving forward. Even if it's an inch or a fucking mile, it's better than staying still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was hoping to get like some tips about NFTs for this conversation. And I definitely did. But the biggest, the biggest thing that I'll take away is the story about the books. Um, Cause I think that like, that definitely resonated. So um, thanks for telling that. That was interesting. Mate, do it with your kids, you know, um, if you've got kids, uh, when they get older. Um, anyone who's listening to this, you know, do it, do it with family members because it works. It's a light bulb moment in people's heads. Um, and when you can when you can sort of put it into a perspective, and again, there's that word perspective, if you can put it in that perspective for people, it sometimes makes it so much more easier for people to understand. And sometimes that's all it needs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that. Love it. Well, mate, thanks again. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. No worries, mate. What a guy. What a guy. Absolute pleasure to talk to Matt on the podcast. I do recommend that you um you check out Matt's work. You can go onto his website which is uh mattsmacro.co.uk. I'll put the link in the description. I also recommend you follow Matt on social media. You can find him on Instagram which is um at mattd85. And then also on Twitter, which is at Matt Doog, which is M-A-T-T-D-O-O-G-U-E. Again, I'll pop all these all these links in the description. And also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like, follow, subscribe, uh, pass it on to a friend. Let me know what you think, and I will speak to you again next week.